Section three of Sasha. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sasha by Alexandra Kuprin. Translated by Douglas Ashby. Section three. The Army Ensign. Part one. Prologue. Last summer, one of my nearest friends inherited from an aunt of his a small farm in the Z district of the government of Potal. After looking through the things that had fallen to his lot, he found in an attic a huge iron-bound trunk stuffed with old-fashioned books with the letter T, printed like a CH, from the yellowish leaves of which came a scent of mouldiness, of dried-up flowers, of mice, and of camphor all blended together the books were chiefly odd volumes of faded russian authors of the early nineteenth century including an epistolary manual and the book of solomon among these assortment were letters and papers mostly of a business nature and wholly uninteresting but one rather thick bundle wrapped up in gray packing paper and tied carefully with a piece of string roused in my friend a certain curiosity it proved to contain the diary of an infantry officer named lapshine and several leaves of a beautiful rough bristol paper decorated with irises and covered with a small feminine handwriting at the end of these pages was the signature kate but many of them bore the single letter k there could be no doubt that lapshine's diary and kate's letters were written at about the same time and concerned the same events which took place some twenty-five years or so ago not knowing what to do with his find my friend posted the package to me in offering it now to my readers i must confess that my own pen has dealt only very slightly with it merely correcting the grammar here and there and obliterating numerous affectations and quotation marks and brackets one september fifth boredom boredom and again boredom is my whole life going to pass in this gray colorless lazy crawling way in the morning squad drill and this sort of thing Efimenko, what is a sentry a sentry is an inviolable person your honor why is he an inviolable person because no one dares to touch him your honor sit down thatch cook what is a sentry a sentry is an inviolable person your honor and so on endlessly then dinner at the mess vodka stale stories dull conversations about the difficulty nowadays of passing from the rank of captain to that of colonel long discussions about examinations and more vodka someone finds a marrowbone in his soup and this is called an event to be celebrated by extra drinks then two hours of leaden sleep and in the evening once more the same inviolable person and the same endless firing in file how often have i begun this very diary it always seemed to me i don't know why that destiny must at last throw into my everyday life some big unusual event which will leave indelible traces on my soul for the rest of my life perhaps it will be love i often dream of some beautiful unknown mysterious woman whom i shall meet some day a woman who is weary and distressed as i am now haven't i a right to my own bit of happiness 
i'm not stupid i can hold my own in society i am even rather witty if i am not feeling shy and happen to have no rival close at hand as to my appearance naturally it is difficult for me to judge it but i think i am not too bad though on rainy autumn mornings i confess that my own face in the looking-glass strikes me as loathsome the ladies of our regiment find something of lermontov's pechorin about me however this merely proves in the first place the poorness of the regimental libraries and secondly the immortality of the pechorin type in infantry regiments with a dim presentiment of this strip of life in front of me i have begun my diary several times intending to note down every small detail so as to live it over again afterwards if only in memory as fully and clearly as possible but day after day passed with the same monotonous sameness the extraordinary made no start and losing all taste for the dry routine of regimental annals i would throw my diary aside on the shelf for long intervals and then burn it with other rubbish when changing my quarters september seventh a whole week has gone by already since i got back from manoeuvres the season for open-air work has begun and squad after squad is told off to dig beetroots on the estates of the neighbouring landowners only our squad and the eleventh are left the town is more dead and alive than ever this dusty stuffy heat this daytime silence of a provincial town broken only by the frantic bawling of cocks gets on my nerves and depresses me really i am beginning to miss the nomad life of manoeuvres which struck me as so unendurable at the time how vividly the not very complicated pictures of army movements come back to my memory and what a softening charm memory gives to them i can see it all clearly now early morning the sun not yet risen the cold sky looks down at the rough old bell tent full of holes the morning stars scarcely twinkle with their silvery gleam the bivouac has livened up and is bustling with life one hears the sounds of running about the undertone of angry voices the crack of rifles the neigh of wagon horses you make a desperate effort and crawl out from under the hairy blanket which has become white from the night dew you crawl straight out into the open air because you cannot stand in the low tent but only lie or sit down the orderly who has been beating a devil's tattoo with his boot on the samovar which of course is strictly forbidden hurries off to get water bringing it straight from the stream in a little brass camp kettle stripped to the waist you wash in the open air and a slight fine rosy steam curls up from your hands face and body here and there between the tents officers have improvised fires from the very straw on which they have spent the night and are now sitting round them shriveled up from cold and gulping down hot tea a few minutes later the tents are struck and there where just now the white linen town had sported itself are merely untidy heaps of straw and scraps of paper the din of the roused bivouac deepens the whole field is swarming with soldiers figures in white russian blouses their grey overcoats rolled over their shoulders at first glance there seems absolutely no order in this grey ant-like agitation but the trained eye will note how gradually thick heaps are formed out of it and how gradually each of these heaps extends into a long regular line 
the last of the late comers rush up to their squads munching a piece of bread on the way or fastening the strap of a cartridge case in another minute the squads their rifles clinking against each other form into a regular enormous square in the middle of the field then the tiring march of from thirty to forty birds the sun rises higher and higher about eight o'clock the heat makes itself felt and the soldiers begin to be bored their marching becomes slack and they sing listlessly the regular marching songs every minute the dust gets thicker enfolding in a long yellow cloud the whole column which extends for a full verst along the road the dust falls in brown layers on the soldiers shirts and faces and through this background their teeth and the whites of their eyes flash as if they were negroes in the thick dusty column it is difficult to distinguish a private from an officer also for the time being the difference of rank is modified and one cannot help getting acquainted with the russian soldier with his shrewd outlook on all sorts of things even on complicated things like manoeuvres with his practical good sense and his adaptability under all sorts of conditions with his biting word pictures and expressions seasoned as they are with a rough spiciness to which one turns a deaf ear what do we meet on the road a ukrainian in large white trousers is walking lazily beside a pair of grey shorthorns and on the roadside a peddler a velvety field ploughed for the winter crop everything invites investigating questions and remarks impregnated either with a deep almost philosophical understanding of simple everyday life or with pointed sarcasm or with an irrepressible stream of gaiety it is getting dark when the regiment nears the place for its night camp one sees the cooks already round the large smoky squad cauldrons placed in the field aside from the road halt pile arms in a twinkling the field is covered with stately files of little wigwams and then an hour or two later you are once more lying under the canvas full of holes through which you see the twinkling stars in the dark sky while your ears note the gradual quieting down of the sleeping camp but still for a long time you catch from the distance separate sounds softened by the sad quietude of evening at times the monotonous scraping of a harmonica reaches your ear sometimes an angry voice undoubtedly the sergeant major's sometimes the sudden neigh of a colt and the hay under one's head blends its delicate aroma with the almost bitter smell of the dewy grass september eighth to-day my squad's commandant vasily akinfievich asked me whether i should like to go with him to the autumn work he has arranged for the squad very advantageous terms with mr oblianinov's manager almost two and a half kopecks of food the work will consist of digging the beetroot for the local sugar factory this does not tire the soldiers who do it very willingly all these circumstances had probably put the captain in such a rainbow mood that he not only invited me to go with him to the work but even in the event of my accepting offered me a rouble and a half a day out of the money payable to himself no other squad commandant had ever shown such generosity towards his subalterns i have rather curious i should say rather mixed feelings towards vasily akinfievich in the service i find him insupportable 
there he parades all his angry rudeness almost conscientiously at squadrille he thinks nothing of shouting out before the men at a young officer lieutenant please take hold of your men you walk like a deacon in a procession even if it's funny that sort of thing is cruel and tactless vasily akinfievich meets out justice with his own fists a measure which not one of the platoon commanders would ever dare to take the men like him and what is more important than anything else believe his word they all know very well that he will not draw a kopeck out of the ration money but will be more likely to add something like twenty-five roubles a month out of his own pocket and that he will permit no one under him to be wronged but on the contrary will take up the cudgels for him even with the colonel the men know all this and i am sure that in the event of war they would all follow to the last vasily akinfievich without hesitation even to obvious death i dislike particularly his exaggerated horror of everything noble in his mind the word nobility suggests the impression of stupid dandyism unnaturalness utter incapacity in the service cowardice dances in the guards he can't even pronounce the word nobility without a shade of the most bitter sarcasm drawing it out to its last letter however one must add that vasily akinfievich has been toiling up from the ranks step by step and at the period when he received his commission the unfortunate rankers had a rough time of it with the little aristocrats of the mess he finds it hard to make friends as every inveterate bachelor does but when he takes a fancy to someone he opens with his purse his naive kindly and clean soul but even when opening his soul vasily akinfievich puts no check on his language this is one of his worst traits i think he rather likes me in his way as a matter of fact i am not such a bad officer of the line when i am hard up i borrow from him freely and he never duns me when we were off duty he calls me army ensign this odd rank died out of the service long ago but old officers like to use it playfully in memory of their youth sometimes i feel sorry for him sorry for a good man whose life has been absorbed in the study of a thin army regulation book and in minute attention to regimental routine i'm sorry for the poorness of his mental outlook which allows him no interest in anything beyond his narrow horizon in a word i feel the same sort of sorrowful pity for him that comes to one involuntarily when one looks long and attentively into the eyes of a very intelligent dog here i pull myself up am i aiming at anything myself does my captive thought really struggle so impatiently at any rate vasily akinfievich has done something in his life he is two st george's on his breast and the scar of a circassian sabre on his forehead as for the men under him they have such fat merry mugs that it makes one cheerful to look at them can i say as much for myself i said that i would go to the digging with pleasure perhaps it will be a distraction the manager has a wife and two daughters two or three landowners live near who knows there may be a little romance tomorrow we start september eleventh we arrive this morning at the railway station of konski broad the manager of the estate advised of our coming by telegram had sent a carriage to meet vlasi akinfievich and myself my word 
i never drove in anything so smart in my life before it was a four-in-hand coach magnificent horses cushiony tires studded harness driven by a healthy-looking lad who wore an oil-cloth cap and a scarf round his waist it is about eight versts to olkovatka the road is perfect and smooth level straight as an arrow lined on both sides with thick pyramid-like poplars on the way we constantly met long files of carts loaded to the very top with cloth bags full of sugar apropos of this vasily akinfievich tells me that the output of the Olkalovatka factory is about one hundred thousand foods of sugar every year that is a respectable figure particularly in view of the fact that obolianilov is the sole proprietor of the business the manager met us at the farm buildings he has a german surname burger but there's nothing german about his appearance or his accent in my opinion he's more like falstaff whom i saw somewhere at an exhibition i think it was in petersburg when i went there to pass my unlucky examination at the academy of the general staff he is extraordinarily fat the fat almost transparent it shines on his flabby cheeks which are covered with a network of small red veins his hair is short straight and grisly his moustache sticks out on each side in warrior-like brushes he wears a short imperial under his lower lip beneath the thick dishevelled eyebrows his quick sly eyes are oddly narrowed by the tautness of the cheeks and cheekbones the lips particularly the smile reveal a merry sensual jolly very observant man i think he is deaf because he has a habit of shouting when he talks to one Berger seemed pleased at our arrival to people like him a listener and a boon companion are more necessary than air he kept running up to one or the other of us and seizing us round the waist would repeat welcome gentlemen you are welcome to my amazement vasily akinfievich liked him i did too Berger showed us into a pavilion where four rooms had been prepared for us provided with everything necessary and unnecessary on such a large scale that we might have been coming to spend three years there instead of a month the captain was apparently pleased with these attentions from the owner of the place but once when Berger opened a drawer of his writing-table and showed a whole box of long excellent cigars placed there for us vasily akinfievich grumbled in his undertone this is a bit too much this is nobility and all that sort of thing incidentally i have forgotten to mention his habit of adding and all that sort of thing to almost every word he says and taking him all around he is not exactly an eloquent captain while placing us so to speak in possession Berger was very fussy and shouted a great deal we did our best to thank him finally he seemed to get tired and wiping his face with an enormous red handkerchief he asked us if there was anything else we wanted we of course hastened to assure him that we had more than enough on leaving us Berger said i'll put a boy at your disposal at once you will be kind enough to order for yourself breakfast lunch dinner and supper according to your wishes the butler will come to you every evening for this purpose our wine cellar too is at your disposal we spent the whole day in installing the soldiers with their rifles and ammunition in empty sheds 
in the evening the groom brought us cold veal a brace of roast snipe a sort of tart with pistachio nuts and several bottles of red wine we had scarcely seated ourselves at the table when burger appeared you're at dinner that's first-rate he said i have brought you a little bottle of old hungarian my dead father had it in his cellar for twenty years we had our own estate near gysina make no mistake about us we burghers are the lineal descendants of the teutonic knights as a matter of fact i have the right to the title of baron but what good would it be to me the arms of the nobility require guilt and that has vanished long ago from ours you're welcome here defenders of the throne and the fatherland however judging by the measures of precaution with which he extracted the musty bottle from a side pocket of his nankin jacket i am inclined to think that the old hungarian was preserved in the master's cellar and not at all on our own estate near gysina the wine was really magnificent it is true that it completely paralyzes one's feet deprives one's gestures of their ordinary expressiveness and makes the tongue sticky but one's head remains clear all the time and one's spirits gay burger tells stories funnily and with animation he chattered the whole evening about the landlord's income the luxury of his life in petersburg his orangery his stables the salaries he paid to his employees at first burger represented himself as the head manager of the business but half an hour later he let the cat out of the bag it seems that among the managers of the estate and the employees at the factory falstaff occupies one of the humblest positions he is merely the overseer of the farm at Olkovatka, just an accountant with a salary of nine hundred roubles a year, and everything found except his clothes. Why should one man have such a lot? the captain asked naively, and apparently struck by the colossal figures of income and expenditure that Falstaff was pouring out so generously. Falstaff made a cunning face. Everything will go to the only daughter well there you are young man he gave me a playful dig in the ribs with his thumb make up your mind to marry and then don't forget the old man i asked with the careless air of one who has seen too much and is she pretty falstaff grew purple with laughter ha ha he's biting excellent my warrior excellent prepare to rush rush trot ta 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 i like the military way then suddenly as if a spring had been pressed he stopped laughing how can i answer you it depends on one's taste she is too subtle too thinnish nobility put in the captain with a grimace as much as you like of that and she's proud she doesn't want to know any of the neighbors oh and she's unmanageable the servants dread her more than fire not that she's one to shout at you or rebuke you there's none of that about her with her it's just bring me this do this go and also coldly without moving her lips nobility said the captain putting his nose in the air spitefully we sat like this till eleven o'clock towards the end falstaff was quite knocked out and went to sleep on his chair snoring lightly and with a peaceful smile round his eyes we woke him up with difficulty and he went home respectfully supported under the elbow by our boy i have forgotten to mention that he is a bachelor a fact which to tell the truth upsets my own plans 
it's an odd fact how terribly a day at a new place drags and at the same time how few impressions remain from it here i am writing these lines and i seem to have been living in Olkavatka for a long long time two months at least and my tired memory cannot recall any definite event september twelfth today i have been looking over the whole place the owner's house or as the peasants about here call it the palace is a long stone building of one story with plate glass windows balconies and two lions at the entrance yesterday it did not strike me as so big as it did today flower beds lie in front of the house the paths separating them are spread with reddish sand in the middle there is a fountain with shiny globes on pedestals and a light prickly hedge runs round the front behind the house are the pavilion the offices the cattle and fowl yards the stud boxes the barns the orangery and last of all a thick shady garden of some eleven acres with streams grottoes pretty little hanging bridges and a lake with swans it is the first time in my life that i have lived side by side with people who spend on themselves tens perhaps even hundreds of thousands people who scarcely know the meaning of not being able to do something wandering aimlessly through the garden i could not take my thoughts off this to me incomprehensible strange and at the same time attractive existence do they think and feel just as we do are they conscious of the superiority of their position do the trifles which burden our lives ever come into their heads do they know what we go through when we come in contact with their higher sphere i am inclined to think that all that means nothing to them that they ask themselves no inquisitive questions that the grey monotony of our lives seems just as uninteresting to them just as natural and ordinary for us as for example the sight of my orderly parkomenko is to me all this of course is in the nature of things but for some reason or other it hurts my pride i am revolted by the consciousness that in the society of these people polished up and well glossed by a hundred years of luxurious habits and refined etiquette i yes i no one else will appear funny odd unpleasant even by my way of eating and making gestures by my expressions and appearance perhaps even by my tastes and acquaintances in a word in me rings the protest of a human being who created in the image and resemblance of god has either lost one and the other in the flight of time or has been robbed of them by someone i can imagine how vasilya kinfievich would snort if i read these reflections to him september thirteenth although today is the fatal number the devil's dozen it has turned out quite interesting i have been wandering about the garden again i don't remember where i read a comparison of nature in autumn with the astonishing unexpected charm which sometimes permeates the faces of young women who are condemned to a swift and certain death from consumption today i cannot get this strange comparison out of my head there is in the air a strong and delicate aroma of fading maple trees which is like the bouquet of good wine one's feet bruise the dead yellow leaves which lie in thick layers over the path the trees have a bright and fantastic covering as though decked out for a banquet of death green branches surviving here and there are curiously blended 
with autumn tints of lemon or straw or orange or pink and blood crimson sometimes passing into mauve and purple the sky is dense and cold but its cloudless blue caresses the eye and in all this bright death feast one catches an indefinable languid sadness which contracts one's heart in a pain that is lingering and sweet i was walking along a pathway beneath the cassias interlaced so as to form a thick almost dark arch suddenly my ear caught a woman's voice saying something with great animation and laughter on a seat just where the thick wall of acacias curved into something like an alcove sat two young girls i took them for girls at once and later on i found that i was right i could not see their faces very well but i noticed that the eldest a brune had the provoking luxuriant appearance of a ukrainian and that the younger who looked like a flapper was wearing a white silk handkerchief negligently thrown on her head with one corner pulled down on her forehead thus concealing the upper part of the face all the same i succeeded in catching a glimpse of laughing pink lips and the gay shining of her white teeth as without noticing my presence she went on telling something probably very amusing in english to her companion for some time i hesitated shall i go on or shall i go back if i go on shall i salute them or not once more i was overwhelmed by yesterday's doubts of my plebeian soul on the one hand i was thinking if they are not the hosts of this place these girls are probably guests in a way i too am a guest and therefore on an equal footing but on the other hand does herman holt permit bowing to unknown ladies in his rules of etiquette won't my bowing seem odd to these girls or what will still be worse won't they regard it as the respectfulness of an employee of a hired man each point of view seemed to me equally dreadful however after thinking it over like this i walked on the dark one was the first to catch the rustle of leaves under my feet and she quickly whispered something to the girl in the silk dress indicating me with her eyes as i came up to them i raised my hand to the peak of my cap without looking at them i felt rather than saw that they both slowly and almost imperceptibly bent their heads they watched me as i moved away i knew this by the sense of awkwardness and discomfort which attentive eyes fixed on my back always give me the very end of the alley i turned round the same second as as it often happens the girl with the white handkerchief glanced in my direction i heard some kind of exclamation in english and then a burst of sonorous laughter i blushed both the exclamation and the laughter were certainly intended for me in the evening falstaff came to us again this time with some wonderful cognac and once more he told us something incredible about his ancestors who had taken part in the crusades i asked him quite carelessly do you know who those two young girls are whom i met in the garden to-day one is a fresh-looking brune and the other is almost a little girl in a light grey dress he gave me a broad grin wrinkling up the whole of his face and causing his eyes to completely disappear then he shook his finger at me slyly ah my son of mars so you're on the fish-hook well 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 don't get angry i'll stop i will really but all the same it's interesting well i suppose i must satisfy your curiosity 
the younger one is our young lady katerina andreevna the one i told you about the heiress you can't call her a little girl it's only to look at she's so thin but she's a good twenty years old really yes if not more oh she's such an imp but the little brunette that's the one to my taste all eggs and cream and butter falstaff smacked his lips carnivorously that's the kind of little pie i love her name is lydia ivanovna such a kind simple girl and dying to get married she's a distant relation of the oblianinovs but she's poor so she's just staying here as a friend oh well damn them all he wound up suddenly waving his hand let's get on with the cognac inwardly i had to agree with this last opinion what do i care about those girls whom i saw to-day when to-morrow we may be off in different directions and may never hear of each other again late in the night after falstaff had left us the boy again balancing him respectfully this time by the waist when i was already in bed vasily akinfievich came to me half undressed with slippers on his bare feet and a candle in his hand well young man he said yawning and rubbing his hairy chest will you explain one thing to me here we are fed on all sorts of delicatessen and given their best old wine to drink and a boy at our disposal and cigars and all that sort of thing but they won't invite us to their own table will they now why is this kindly solve that problem without waiting for my answer he went on in a sarcastic tone because my dear old chap all these nobility people and all that sort of thing are most refined diplomats yes yes what is their way of doing it i made a good study of their sort on different voluntary work i know the type he will be amiable to you and will serve you up dinners justice compels me to add that the captain mispronounced the word serve and cigars and all that sort of thing but all the same you feel that he looks on you as on a low worm and notice lieutenant it's only the great aristocrats here as if out of irony he purposely mutilated the word who have this attitude towards our fellow man the simpler sort the more doubtful ones swagger and put on more airs immediately that type will sport an eyeglass round his lips and imagine that he's a bird but as for the real sort the first thing with them is simplicity because there's no reason for them to put on airs when right in their own blood they feel scorn for our fellow man and it all comes out very naturally and charmingly and all that sort of thing having finished this accusing speech vasily akinovich turned round and went off to his own room well perhaps he's right in his own way but all the same it seems to me rather bad taste to laugh at strangers behind their backs september fourteenth to-day i met them both in the garden they walked with their arms round each other's waists the little one her head on her companion's shoulder was humming something with half-closed eyes seeing them it suddenly occurred to me that these chance rambles of mine might be misinterpreted i turned quickly into a side path i don't know that they saw me but apparently i must choose another time for my walks or risk seeming an army intruder september fifteenth lydia ivanova started this evening for the station she will probably not return to olkovatka 
first of all because she has been followed by a respectable quantity of luggage secondly because she and the daughter of the house said good-bye to each other rather long and affectionately apropos of this i saw for the first time from my window andrei alexandrovitch himself with his wife he's quite a fine-looking type stately broad-shouldered with the cut of an old hussar his grey hair is worn a la russe his chin is clean-shaven his moustache long downy and silvery and his eyes are like a hawk's only blue but just the same as the hawk's round shrunken motionless and cold his wife gives one the impression of a frightened and modest person she holds her head a little on one side and his smile half guilty and half pitiful is always on her lips the face is yellow but kind in her youth she was probably very beautiful but now she looks much older than her age there is also a bent old woman on the balcony she wore a black headdress and greenish curls and she came out leaning on a stick and hardly able to drag her feet after her she wanted i think to say something but she began coughing shook her stick in a despairing sort of way and disappeared september sixteenth vasily akinfievich has asked me to look after the work until he can get rid of his fit of balking rheumatism pay particular attention he said to the delivery of the beetroot the soldiers are already complaining because the foreman here gives them overweight to tell the truth i am rather afraid that in the end there will be trouble over this the soldiers have been working in threes they have already practically finished their contract one digs out the beetroot from the ground with a shovel while two cut it up with knives and clean it these sets of three are usually formed from soldiers of the same strength and skill there is no point in choosing a bad one as he would only be in the way of the others i read somewhere or other i think in the indicator the reflections of a leisurely thinker who says that there is no advantage at all in this sort of work that clothes get torn and soldiers undisciplined this is absolutely false never is there such a confident almost relation-like feeling between officers and privates as at this sort of free work if one admits that the soldier needs holidays during his hard military training there is no better rest for him than the toil in the fields which he loves but all the money earned in this way must go to the soldiers without any middleman each knows where the shoe pinches and our people are admirable workers hired peasants wouldn't do half the work there is only one exception zamachnikov who as usual does nothing zamachnikov is the spoilt favorite of the whole squad from the captain down to the last private nikofor spazov this same spazov with his lame leg and the white spot on his right eye has been for the last four years a walking and a crying reproach to the military service it is true that during the whole period of service zamachnikov has been unable to master the vowels in the alphabet and has shown a really exceptional stupidity in regard to book learning but you could not find in the whole regiment such a spirited singing leader such a good teller of stories such a jack-of-all-trades and a merry andrew to boot he apparently knows what his role is very well and looks upon it in the light of a military duty on march he sings almost without stopping and his flashing spirited talk often rings a laugh of appreciation from the tired soldiers and gives them a moral shake-up vasily akinovich 
though he keeps zamakhanov under arms more often than the rest for which zamakhanov bears him no grudge confessed to me once that a stirrer up like him is a perfect treasure in wartime and difficult circumstances zamakhnikov however is no mere clown and sham and for this i like him personally life in him simply boils up unrestrainedly and never allows him to sit quiet for a minute here he was to-day passing from work party to work party and finally arriving at a woman's department he started a long dialogue with the ukrainians which made the soldiers near him leave their work and roll on the ground with laughter i can hear from a distance his imitations of the brisk shrill quarrels of women and then again the lazy talk of an old ukrainian on catching sight of me he puts on a preoccupied look and fumbles on the ground well my fellow-countrywoman he asked which of you has sent my shovel to perdition i shouted him and endeavoured to make my face severe he stands to attention carrying himself as he always does before an officer with a graceful vigour but in his kind blue eyes there still trembles the little fire of his interrupted merriment september seventeenth our acquaintance has taken place but under exceptionally comic conditions why should i hide it from myself i secretly longed for this acquaintance but if i could have foreseen that it would happen as it happened to-day i should have refused it the stage was again the garden i have already written that there is a lake it has a little round island in the middle overgrown with thick bushes on the shore facing the house is a rather small wharf and near it a flat-bottomed boat is moored in this boat katerina andreevna was sitting as i passed holding the sides of the boat with both hands and bending forward first on one side and then on the other she was trying to balance and shove off the heavy boat which had struck fast on the slimy bottom of the lake she wore a sailor costume open at the throat allowing one to see her thin white neck and even her thin little collar-bones which stood out under the muscular tension a small gold chain hid itself in her dress but i gave her only a passing glance and having once more given her a half salute i turned away with my usual modest dignity at that moment the girl's voice fresh and merry called out suddenly will you please be so kind at first i thought this exclamation was meant for someone else who was walking behind me and involuntarily i glanced back she was looking at me smiling and nodding emphatically yes 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 you will you be so kind as to help me shove off this wretched boat i'm not strong enough by myself i made her a most gallant bow bending my body forward and lifting my left leg back after which i ran eagerly down to the water and made another bow just as ceremoniously as the first i must have looked fine i imagine the lady was now standing up in the boat still laughing and saying push it away just a little then i'll manage it myself i seized the bow of the boat with both hands with my legs spread wide apart so as to preserve my balance then i warned her with refined politeness will you be kind enough to sit down mademoiselle the push may be a very vigorous one she sits down stares at me with laughing eyes and says really i'm ashamed to trespass like this on your kindness oh it's nothing mademoiselle the fact that she is watching me gives my movements a certain gracefulness 
i am a good gymnast and nature has given me a fair amount of physical strength but in spite of my efforts the boat does not stir please don't take so much trouble i hear a tender little voice saying it's probably too heavy and it may hurt you really i the sentence hangs unfinished in the air her doubt on my strength gives it a tenfold force a mighty effort a push a crash the boat flies off like an arrow while i in accordance with all the laws of equilibrium splash full length into the mud when i get up i find my face and hands in my snow-white tunic worn for the first time this morning everything covered in one long layer of brown sticky reeking mud at the same time i see that the boat is gliding swiftly to the very middle of the lake and that the girl who had fallen backwards when i shoved off is getting up the first object that jumps to her eye is myself a frantic laugh rings through the whole garden and echoes through the trees i get out my handkerchief and pass it confusedly first over my tunic and then over my face but in time i realize that this only smudges the mud into me worse than before and gives me a still more pitiful appearance then i make an heroic attempt to burst out laughing myself over the comedy of my miseries and produce some sort of idiotic neighing katerina andreevna rocks with laughter more than ever and is hardly able to pronounce her words go go quickly you will catch cold i run off at full speed from this accursed place run the whole way back to the house while in my ears there still rings that merciless ceaseless laugh the captain as he caught sight of me merely threw his arms out in astonishment nice well you are a pretty sight how the deuce did you manage it i made no answer banged the door of my own room and furiously turned the lock twice alas now everything is all over forever p s is she pretty or is she not i was so absorbed in my gallantry condemn yourself to death wretched man that i hadn't even time to get a good look at her ah but what does it matter to-morrow whatever happens i am going back to the regiment even if i have to sham being ill here i should not be able to live down my disgrace end of section three